what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Too much positivity is incredibly toxic. And just like in any other avenue, especially when it comes to body positivity, I think it's like, so there's two sides to this coin, right? All right. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. We've missed you all and we're excited to be back for season three. Uh, As a little heads up, this is a two-part episode because she and I got to talking on the topic of body image and the conversation was long and windy and interesting and we decided to break it up into two episodes. So please enjoy part one of body image. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, Kashia here. I am the COO and co-host of the Meet Bridget podcast together with my best friend and partner, Asha Gabriel. I help run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls called Bridget. This season, season three, by the way, we are looking to do things a little differently. Though we loved our bridge etymology episodes last season and season one, where we break down words to get to their meanings as it applies to daily life, we heard from our audience that they wanted more candid conversations between Asha and I. And honestly, I don't blame them. (laughs) We are back today for our first one-on-one episode of the season, and we thought we'd kick it off with a little discussion on body image. And Asha, it feels so good to be back on the mic with you. I know. I love this. I'm like geeking out right now. It's so funny because... (laughs) Some of you know that we work with a lot of girls and we have worked with a lot of girls in person and some, you know, members of our community that know us and have seen us interacting with each other, you know, and are just our like conversations and stuff have told us they're like, you guys should just put that on the podcast because it's, it's fun. And we derive so much meaning from our relationship with each other and working together and, and focusing on these topics that are just so you know, they're so central to the lives of young women, but, you know, women of all ages. So yeah, so that's what we're doing. So welcome back. So most of you know that Keish really recently had a baby and I just had my second baby just three months before her. And, you know, as women, whether we bear children or not, as our bodies grow, bloom, transform and change with hormones and age, we just, we felt inspired to dedicate this episode to the journey of how we relate to our bodies over time. Um, as a little disclaimer, we will likely be candidly discussing issues, including body dysmorphia, eating disorders, depression, thyroid cancer, pregnancy, and pregnancy loss. Should any of these things be triggering to you at this time, please feel free to sit this episode out or see our show notes for resources. Additionally, this conversation is sourced and biased by our personal experiences as cis women. As always, however, we welcome all identities and ages to our audience. Our hope is that if you find yourself in any of the stages discussed, you won't feel alone. So welcome to our Meet Bridget community, longtime and new listeners. Today, we're just going to, we're going to kind of riff, you know, and go through topics all around body image. Personally, this is something that has been part of my life and struggle, like from the very beginning. So we'll we'll kind of Same. see where the conversation goes. But we, we, you know, we're talking about this episode, and there's just there's so much here. So 
this is such a timely episode for you and I personally because yes. we've gone through so many changes within the last, um, you know, two to three years. And on top of that, it's, you know, a conversation that continues to be not just pop, but like, you know, relevant at any state because people are always talking about what other people look like. Yeah. And I, I think as women too, like people are always talking about what women look like. There's just mm-hmm. such a fixation, you know, I'm I, not to discount that like, you know, plenty of men have body image issues and, and things going on. But from our experience, you know, as women, it's just I especially notice that like there is this crazy fixation on the changes in women's bodies. Why not? They're not a certain shape or they're not staying this certain way forever. I mean, I guess we could start with what is body image, actually? We pulled a, a definition for body image that we can read just to kind of frame the conversation. So body image is a combination of the thoughts and feelings that you have about your body. Body image may range between positive and negative experiences. And one person may feel at different times positive or negative or a combination or, of both. It's influenced by internal, like your personality, and external, like social and environmental factors. So it's kind of a bland definition of body image, but I think it's so tied to how we feel, what we do every day, and it starts somewhere. So when, Keish, when would you say you first became like self-aware or body conscious when, you know, when you looked in the mirror and you realize like, oh, this is, you know. I mean, you become aware of your body at such a young age, right? Like my son is like six months old and like you see at this stage developmentally, like, and I'm sure you realize this with your girls too, like they're, they're noticing their hands, their feet, like they're fascinated. And I think for me, like the interesting part of this conversation, because I have, you know, this history you know, I'll just be really candid. And I think I've mentioned this in some of our other shows, but like I've had this history of body dysmorphia. So whenever I think about that, I think about where that stemmed from and like where I made the switch between just like recognizing like my hands and my feet, my shoulders, my, my thighs, and like all of a sudden, you know, attributing negative or positive emotions to that. Probably middle school, you know, like when you start coming into your secondary sexual characteristics, but even before that, like my mom is a beautiful woman. And I know that that's something that was really highlighted for me, you know, by other people, by, you know, my dad. And so there was always like this, this innate knowledge that like my mom had this quality of being a beautiful woman. And so as a little girl, I remember thinking like, oh, I want to be like my mom. I want to look like my mom. I watched how she did her makeup you know, that was a very significant part of like my childhood core memory package, you know, it's just watching my mom do all of that stuff. So I was definitely aware of what it meant to be beautiful just in the context of life. And then naturally, you know, you go through those really awkward phases. At least I did. I had like a super awkward phase of the puffy hair, the glasses, the rolly backpack, which isn't part of me physically, but it added to the that awkward face (laughs) and I remember thinking at that time that was like seventh grade and I was like oh this feels not very like graceful or pretty so and then you know there's a little bit of bullying and stuff and so you really are like oh man now that must be true about me but what about you I mean, I look at my daughters and it's so fascinating you know because I think there's kind of two stages of like 
body awareness. It's like when a baby first looks in the mirror, it's pure joy. You know, they see themselves in the mirror and that's all they want to look at. They look kind of between you and, but they're, they're focused on their own face. And even like Eden, my two-year-old, she looks at pictures of herself and she puffs up her chest and she, she literally goes, this Eden, you know, <laughs> and that sense of identity. It's, it's really beautiful to watch. But I mean, I think even at that age, at early ages, I mean, this isn't something we can avoid either. It's like, yeah, at some point we look at our peers, we look at our family, we look at our parents and we compare ourselves situationally to the people that were around. And I think that as soon as those comparisons start happening, you know, first, some could be just completely inconsequential and not causing any kind of damage or, you know, negative perceptions. But we start kind of defining like, okay, how are we in relation to others? And mm-hmm. I think that it's fascinating because, you know, when we we're, we're talking about this, I'm like, I'm trying to think of like one moment where it was like, I was suddenly aware of my body. Yeah. But I think it is more of these little like, like flashes, you know, where it's like, pages. oh, exactly. I had an older sister growing up. And so it's like, there's kind of that foil going on where it's like, okay, like we're so similar, but we're different. Grew up as a ballet dancer, which I think that when I, when I look at my body control and fitness and abilities and stuff like dance helped me in so much way, so many ways, you know, and in confidence in a lot of ways. But, you know, as a dancer, you're training and you're looking at the mirror and you're trying to match your alignment to all the other girls in the rhythm and everything. Like you're trying to make everything look the same and you're wearing tights and a leotard, you know? So I I remember having moments like, oh, like my body is a little bit longer here and like not as flat here, a little bit, you know, bonier here than this, these other girls. And what does that mean? You know, or I just have this funny memory as like, cause I'm very tall. I mean, for those of you that don't know, I'm like, on the very tall end and Keisha's on the shorter <laughs> end. <laughs> I'm on the very short end. <laughs> I'm six feet and Keisha, how, how tall are you? I'm oh. five feet. There's five a full feet. 12 inches between us. But, but like there is no distance in this. No, no, <laughs> no, no distance. Um, I had this thought. I vividly remember thinking this. I was sitting on my twin bed in the shared bedroom with my sister. And this was before the internet ages me a little bit, but like before we were labeled like search things that we could do, you know, surgeries and stuff. I remember sitting on my bed and thinking like, maybe I can ask my parents to get me a surgery where they cut my calf bones down. So my legs were long. I literally was like, it was just when I was starting to feel like I was taller than the boys. Yeah. Uh, Like my pants were always short. And I was just so self-conscious of that, that I, I remember kind of thinking, I'm like, there must be a surgery. I know there's surgeries like this, like that would solve everything. And now I think about that. I'm like, oh my God, like that would be awful. Horrendous. Awful. And like, I love my legs and they're a unique part of me. And like, but there's these little moments and glimpses of like, you know, how you related through comparison to the Mm -hmm. people around you. Well, and I really love that you bring that up too, because I mean, humans are social animals. First of all, I have never believed in that more than I have after having Jude, my son. Just as a quick aside, the first time I left the house after having Jude, I like went to the pharmacy and I was like, oh, I'm just going to go sneak out while he's napping and go pick up a prescription. And I'm like one month postpartum and a baby starts crying. And in my head, I was like, oh, my God, 
is my son thinking about me right now? Because I got this like tingle and I was like, (laughs) I must have like this new mommy sense. And I look down and I'm literally just gushing milk because this child is crying in the pharmacy like rose over. And I remember thinking like, is there no better proof that humans are social animals than like one woman lactating at the sound of another woman's child crying? So, but this is like a perfect example. Like we're social animals and we're built for community. And I think, you know, that's kind of our bread and butter with the Bridget community. But it also attributes to this natural desire to compare ourselves to other people because that's how we would have survived in the wild. You think of like, you know, the ways that we used to live and migrate, you know, in communities and tribes, Mm -hmm. you know, that comparison is essential to survival. It's like, okay, like what do we eat? Yeah. Like where do we go? Who do I follow? How do I build shelter? You know, it's like, it is a primal thing and it's not all bad. It's not like people are like, you know, I, I do love that quote, like comparison is the thief of joy. And I try to remind myself that, that it's like the wrong kind of comparison is a very slippery slope. But it's also essential to how we live and it's impossible to like live in a vacuum and be like, all right, I will exist by myself and I will be so happy because it's like these social connections bring us joy. And I think that's why we have, we'll get more into like the social media conversation because I think that's so tied in right now with how everybody kind of is, is dealing with body image and self-esteem. But, you know, I think that that's why it's, it's such a hard thing for most of us because social media is not all bad. Like we are able to connect with others. I mean, we've we've both experienced like motherhood just because of the demands can be very isolating. So it's like while there are images and things on Instagram that like, you know, may may make us feel worse about ourselves or whatever, it's also a way it's been a nice place to be able to connect with other mothers and other people going through similar things that we do. So, yeah, that comparison piece I think is is I think it's significant. Yeah, I think it's significant. I point that out because I think the overarching theme is like we have to be graceful with ourselves. So it's, you know, through the context of this conversation, it's very natural to compare yourself to another person. Like it's something that exists within each of us. I'd be lying if we didn't say we compared ourselves to each other all the time. Most of the time it's in jest. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we we describe ourselves as like tall friend, short friend, and like it would yeah. be impossible not to if you saw us in person. Yes. Just impossible. Cutest pictures ever, but you have to do it with like a wide lens. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a part of the conversation. Um, but I mean, going back to those early years of really starting to compare yourself to your peers, I mean, we're no longer living in the wild. So we've got to be real about the fact that like differences are plentiful and, you know, we should be embracing them. But when you're in junior high, high school, and you're trying to figure out who you are and you realize that you're quite different from other people in so many ways, I think for me, that's where I started to think, you know, maybe this doesn't look quite right or maybe I'm not as tall as this person. And then there was definitely a component of bullying where other people would tell me like, oh, you're too short or your your hair is too thick or that looks crazy. And then, you know, there were also people that said really nice things. But, you know, I think at that age, the things that are really mean and hurtful, those are the things that stick with you for a little bit longer at that time. 
Um, I also went to a school in high school, like right in those critical years that was primarily Caucasian. And so there were not very many people that looked like me. And I think that exacerbated just this feeling of being so different. And sometimes it felt really cool. Like I, I was thinking about this the other day. I had a teacher who did one of those like little personality quizzes for the class. And I don't remember everything about it, but one of the things that she brought up was like, how do you walk across a room? Do you walk across a room like shuffling with your head down? Do you walk across a room with wide, boundful steps with your with your chin up? And I remember at the time she actually called me out and she was like, Kashia, I know that you have to select the one where you walk with like those big wide steps with your chin up smiling because every time I look across the quad, that's what I see you doing. And so when I think about that now, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm glad to think that there were moments where I didn't feel so confident, at least, you know, from the outside or in those moments, there were still moments where I was just, you know, blissfully unaware and happy and confident in my step and stature. I love that image of you. And it's interesting because I'm kind of just sitting here thinking about like in this process where we are growing and changing and and interacting socially with other people, like throughout that process, we are getting feedback from other people, from how we feel about ourselves, from how other people feel about us, from the mirror, from photos. But all of those little things are like isolated moments in time mm-hmm. and kind of expect like, okay, if that's how I, I looked right then, or that's what that person said about me in that exact moment, you kind of incorporate it into what you have as this like identity that like, regardless of how much it's updated, it's not, it can never actually be like accurate. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? That like, it's a compendium of all these different, like if I think of even like, okay, what is, how would I describe my body? Like the images that come to mind are like static images from all different times of my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or like the most recent image. I think that's why I feel like most of the time when you hear hear someone describe themselves and how they look and how they kind of feel about themselves, I feel like the majority of people, or at least in my experience, like when I hear someone explain how they feel about themselves, I'm like, wow, you really don't have the full like image, do you? Like you are so much better than that. Like you did this, but you forgot this magical part about like the way that you laugh and this thing. And that, like, so we can only have this like little partial. Little snippets. Uh, yeah. It's like a like a collage, you know, all these like images and it's like what this moving, changing, evolving being, I feel like we can never really have a full feedback, you know, loop of who we are. So it's maybe almost like kind of like letting, letting go of that need to really have that sense too. I don't know. I was always fascinated for that exact reason with like home videos, you know, growing up because That was like the only way to really, I mean, now you have reels and stuff. And um, so, you know, there's a little bit more access, but I always felt like I never photographed well. Like I would tell people like, oh, I just like don't look good in photos. I still feel that way, but that might, you know, that might not be true. That's just how I feel. But like, I used to love looking at home videos because I'd be fascinated. Like, wow, that's actually very different from how I see myself. Like, even when I'm just looking in the mirror, you know, because when you're looking in the mirror, you're actively being biased. But like if you look at a picture, you're like, that's a moment in time. And then if you look at a video of yourself, you're like, wow, that's what I look like when I'm moving and talking and there's like sound and things yeah. going on. And like that was like the realest you could get to like an out of body experience. 
and like having that experience of seeing yourself like another person would see you. It's funny because I also think, I mean, we're both married and I feel like I could identify any part of my husband's body blind, you know, like, and I, and I, and and honestly, it's like, obviously I'm in love with my husband and obsessed with him. But like the, when I think about his body, I'm never criticizing any little part of his body. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, it's loving, but it's also neutral, you know, like that's what his toe looks like, you know? But I feel sometimes like I know his body sometimes better than I think I even objectively have ever known mine. Yeah. Yeah. Like just thinking about this and it's like, (laughs) how weird is that? But it's like, but what like you were saying is like watching videos of yourself or seeing like a photo here and there. And sometimes it's like, oh, like to be surprised by like a video of yourself. I'm like, I live in this body. Like, why am I surprised at like how it looked there? (laughs) And the people who are so close to you, it's like you could know their body and how it looks from every angle and it's just like you're at peace with it you know yeah well conversely too it's so weird because like when I brought up so it's so (laughs) when you said I know my husband's body blind I just like always think about this mole on Kevin's leg that like one of his friends early early on was like have you seen the raisin that Kevin sat on as a kid and I was like what and like it's whatever (laughs) just total non sequitur but anyways <laughs> I also love my husband also obsessed with him his raisin shaped moles neutral whatever right like, just, like <laughs> don't sit on it I mean I've definitely focused on all these different little parts yeah. never in a in the same way that like there's been all, so many different things but I feel like you know you and I have talked about like body dysmorphia before okay. I think both of us have struggled with it in different ways I think this is a good time to plug our episode number 14 with yeah. Lara Reeves Mufidi, who is an eating disorder specialist. But we talked a lot in detail about um, body dysmorphia and eating disorders in that episode. But I think a big part of it is this like hyperfixation on certain areas and flaws of your body. And it's interesting because it's different for each person. Like, I feel like for me, when I, through the years, I've always been more focused on like my midsection mm-hmm. than like, you know, I don't really pay that much attention to like my arms or, you know, my legs that much. Like I bruise a lot. So I like, get like hyperfixated. I'm like, damn it, another bruise. And like, this looks so bad in pictures, you know, but I'm definitely more like hyperfixated, like on my apps, you know, where I talked to another girl recently and she was like, oh, I'm like hyperfixated on my butt, like how my okay. butt looks and everything. She's like, I was talking with my therapist and I'm trying to like put a block over that area when I look in in the mirror and try to like focus on and appreciate other areas of my body that just like don't get the positive or negative attention that like this hyper fixated little area does. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I go through phases too. I mean, with with body dysmorphia through the years, I think my big thing is I I've just never recognized like it's so funny. I like have this activity now that I do only with Kara, my sister and my husband, because um, it's so personal and like almost embarrassing. But with body dysmorphia, like I would look in the mirror or I'd look at a picture and I would not like literally just would not see the picture as like an objective face value picture. I'd be like fixated on like one portion of my body, like you mentioned, or I'd be like, oh, this doesn't look right. This doesn't look right. Or I generally feel like I look like I'm like 20 pounds heavier than I actually am. I don't remember when we started doing this, but I'd start like looking at like bodies of different women, like beautiful women, like every shape and size. 
And I'd like point out the pictures where I'd be like, I think this is what I look like. And I swear to you, like nine times out of 10, my husband and Carl will be like, no, that's actually not what you look like. And it's just so interesting because I, I wasn't doing it to compare myself to them, but to kind of demonstrate to them like what I see versus what other people see. And it was a really interesting experiment that was very actually eye opening to me because I was like very, very dead set on like, this is what I see. So that has to be true. Whereas like I'd show it to, you know, my family members that I know are not going to lie to me and they'd just be like, no, that's not accurate. But yeah, so body dysmorphia has been crazy. And I think that over time, like as we've gotten older, as I've gotten older, you know, you develop tools to deal with it and like doing things like that have kind of helped me out of it. I love that example of just like covering up one section to like look at another and appreciate it. But I mean, even today, I I went to a Pilates class for the first time. I went to Megaformer for the first time since I was pregnant with Jude. And so my body obviously looks quite different six months postpartum than it did when I was like eight months pregnant on the reformer, which was very different from being not pregnant, you know, before that. But I like had a moment today where I was like, you know what? My abs look really good. You know, they don't look the same as they did before I had my baby or when I was pregnant with my baby. But like, I can still see some definition there. And like, you know, I also see like the curve where I carried my son for nine months and like I see that my arms look different and that like my body's changed a little bit. But the other thing that I've like started telling myself is like, especially having gone through that wave of not pregnant, 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 our bodies fluctuate so much to accommodate whatever we need at the time. Just like you like hold more water and weight when you're stressed, you know, it's it's adaptive. Just like, you know, you gain like a bit of weight like when you're pregnant, like it's all for, you know, to make a home for your baby. And so I've been practicing actively how to be graceful in that way and just kind yeah. of like accept that there's a flow to it. I think that's one of my favorite things about like yoga is that in all these different poses, it kind of forces you to like have awareness of like little different areas. You know, you're in a new pose. It's like, okay, like that one was like, it was really like my forearms are like lit up. I'm like, oh, and like, I'm able to move them that way. And then like, oh, here it's like, oh, it's really demanding on my core. And like, oh, wow. And you can kind of be surprised by like, oh man, like my ankles really had me in that moment. And like, <laughs> we're able to stable, whatever it was. And I, and I feel like, I mean, personally, so I grew up as a dancer and then um, went to college. And in college, I actually went to my first yoga class with a competitive figure skater. And she knew that I had started modeling at the time and that, you know, I was working out and had been a dancer before. She was like, I, I do yoga to like, you know, stay in shape. She's like, will you go to these classes with me? And for me, it was like when I discovered yoga, I was like, oh, this is like all the good stuff from dance, all the like confidence and breathing and body expression. Because I, as a child, had a lot of difficulty with vocal expression, you know, I was very quiet and reserved as a child. But like with dance and yoga, then later I was like, oh, like this is like body expression, which is so freeing. But anyways, like I was like, but most of the yoga classes have no mirror and you're not looking at anyone else's mat, you know, or at least you, it's better if you're not. And you're literally just looking inward and it's just this like examination and appreciation of all the different parts of your body and how they can move, mm -hmm. you know? So in a positive light, I mean, we want to talk about like body image and some of the like the difficult things about it, but I think it's fun to like weave in tools and things that have helped us 
in this over time. Also, you know, it's also a reminder that it's like, we're both in our thirties. You know, I've had two babies. Keisha's had one baby. And like, this is still something we deal with. Like I actively work with a therapist, you know, and a recurring theme that we go through is, you know, my relationship to my body and my ability to control how it looks aesthetically and, you know, how that's been impacted by dance, by modeling, by childbearing, by all these different things. So it's a work in progress for anyone that's listening. That's like, oh, like this is a show about like, we figured it out and here we're going to give you advice. Yes. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) My dad used to say there's like a reset button, you know, when you're like actively doing therapy well. He's like, the way to know that you're doing it right is that when you wake up the next day and feel like you have to hit the reset button, like that's about right. Because every day is a new day and a new opportunity to learn and grow and remind yourself that like it's very easy to slip into like old thought patterns. Like some of it's adaptive, just like comparison. But that doesn't mean that it's it's right or that it's the truth. And so part of like working on this is like daily taking up the practice of gratitude and of being like, yeah, today might be a tougher day. Today I might like really not think I look good or I don't feel good or I don't feel right. So like how do I reframe that and remind myself of the positive side of this? But we're under no illusion that this is a walk in the park or just like that we've like reached the end of a journey as like victors. I think it's a, a lifelong path. Speaking of lifelong paths, though, I mean, we've been through so much in the last, God, like, I I just feel like the better part of this decade together as best friends. And one of, like, the things that's happened throughout time is, like, both of us have been met with challenges physically that we've had to grow and adapt to. And I think it really has changed and forced us to evolve the way that we think about ourselves and our relationships to our bodies. You know, I mentioned a little bit about my body dysmorphia. For those of you who've listened to some of our earlier episodes, you might know that I've had pregnancy loss and um, I have PMDD, which is, you know, anxiety and depression, which is linked to your hormonal changes, like as a woman. So my anxiety and depression has fluctuated in the past, along with like my menstrual patterns and hormonal patterns. And then, of course, pregnancy and motherhood. I mean, so we can talk about all of that. And Asha, you've been really, really open about your thyroid cancer diagnosis. And would you agree? Like, it's just really like these things are have really changed us. I can definitely personally say that like my perception of my body in the different stages of my life have been incorporated into my personality, you know? And I think that some of these big experiences created shifts in that perception of my body. I mean, like when I was a very young girl, I was often, you know, told in supermarkets and stuff, or my mother was told like, oh, wow, like this little girl should be a model or like, oh, she's so beautiful or so thin or this and that from a young, you know, a young age. And it's like, obviously it's like a nice thing to hear, you know, it's Mm -hmm. better than being like, oh, look at this like ugly child or something. But that informed, you know, my thought process of myself. It was like, oh, I have to impress people in this way, or this is a part of what I'm, what is good about me is how I look, Mm -hmm. you know, and then getting older and, you know, in a more negative way, it was like, you know, being taller than the boys during part of school 
or lanky and this and that, or first starting to realize like, oh, like, you know, we didn't really do a lot of like diet and exercise for aesthetics, you know, in my family. Like we, we I was never told to like work out and do certain things. Like we were all in sports and activities and stuff, but you know, then that was like a different phase where I was like, oh, like I can manipulate how I look, you know, by what I do day to day. That was like a discovery in high school for me. And then getting to college, you know, I had the opportunity to start modeling. And then that became a a whole new kind of phase where it was like, okay, like I can make money by keeping my body looking, you know, a certain way Mm -hmm. and walking the runway alongside a bunch of other people that are you know, objectively supposed to be the very same size as me, but we're all different colors, you know, and from different places. But here we are all together because we are all the exact same size. That was a whole like experience. Had positives and negatives. I'm like, when I was walking the runway, I felt like this goddess, you know, and I was Mm -hmm. able to like take on the music and the the clothes. But like at that stage in my life, like clothes fit, like, you know, it was kind of like a hanger. So it's like clothes fit like loosely and it's very like fashion and like edgy and moody you know Mm -hmm. and I kind of took that on in my personality a little bit I mean after high school and like moving through different jobs and everything I think that eventually you know my thyroid issues started emerging so I had Hashimoto's for about six years and I even remember like talking with my thyroid doctor and I was starting to experience like my skin was changing and different things were changing. Like I I saw it in the mirror and how I felt. I was like, I feel different. And my doctor at the time was like, you're fine. You know, you're really thin. You don't have most of the, like the symptoms of being hypothyroid. So like, you're not, you you haven't gained excessive weight or any of these things that lots of people deal with. Like, so you're fine. Don't worry about it. Just take your medication. That same doctor missed my thyroid cancer that was eventually caught later. Oh my God. Um, A doctor that wasn't making like assumptions based on how I looked externally. So I don't know. I feel like I'm like long and winding, but I, but I try to, I mean, yeah, this is like the journey though. These are like your early experiences, like informed the way that you acted, you know, not acted, but like how you, how you reacted, how you dealt with some of these situations. Well, and how you kind of like incorporate what your body looks like and how your body feels into your personality you know and like how how you approach the world too and I think for me like thyroid cancer was obviously like a shocker and I had to deal with a lot of those feelings of like my body has betrayed me or I thought I was taking good care of my body and keeping it in shape by yoga and diet and all this stuff but like I didn't even know what was going on in my body and that this cancer was growing for several years this lack of like trust in my own body that kind of like emerged from thyroid cancer, but then eventually like coming through it and out of it and being able to see like how I was able to survive it Mm -hmm. and then turn around and help a lot of people that have gone through all sorts of thyroid issues and cancer issues and, you know, been an advocate in a lot of ways, then it's kind of turned into this positive and that it's like, oh, wow. Like, yes, I went through that for a reason. And I have these food allergies and stuff connected to some of that thyroid, you know, illness. And I'm, I honestly see them as like blessings in disguise now. I'm like, well, I, at least I have this feedback system with my body and I can tell what it really doesn't like. And I can tell that it really does like, and now that's part of my personality is that I'm like, because I've gone through these tough things, like I'm super in tune, you know, with my body. So that's kind of like, I mean, thyroid cancer 
I think any kind of like illness like that, it's such a complex thing because it like, especially when it comes as a a surprise, I could ask you, like, would you say that pregnancy loss is a similar experience in that, like those feelings of like your body not doing what you thought it should? Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I can totally relate to so much of what you're talking about. Obviously, our experiences are a little bit different, but Kevin and I, we, I mean, we weren't planning to get pregnant at the time, but I did. And it was, you know, magical. We'd been married for four or five years already. And, you know, I was, had just turned 30. And so it was like the right time. And rounding out my first trimester, we found out that we lost the pregnancy. And it was devastating. And I had just, you know, I'd had an experience with pregnancy loss because my cousin and his wife had lost their baby full term just the year before. And it was very, very hard on all of us. So when I found out that I lost my baby, it was like, it it was kind of like, okay, is this turning into a hat trick? Like, what? This doesn't happen like in the universe like twice in one go you know it becomes it it just was unbelievably painful and one of the things that um you know I didn't appreciate before losing that pregnancy and losing that baby was you know I was a first time that was my first pregnancy and so for you know those of you who've had losses and had losses with first pregnancies, it's a little bit different because that's all you know. You don't have the experience of having like a healthy pregnancy and knowing that things are going to be okay. And so, you know, for a year plus after that, you know, we started trying and there were a lot of things that ended up happening. Subsequently, I found out that I had an inflammatory disease called ankylosing spondylitis. It's in the rheumatoid arthritis family, but it affects like my low spine. In some ways, it was like having that pregnancy loss led to my diagnosis because it was the first time in my life that I didn't have exogenous progesterone. Like I wasn't on any type of birth control for the first time in years. And I I hadn't been on the pill for, for a very long time, but I had an IUD that had a little bit of hormone in it. And so what happens when you remove the IUD and you have pregnancy loss is like your progesterone levels just drop because you don't have something stimulating that progesterone release. And progesterone is a natural hormone. You know, you have it throughout your cycle, but it spikes when you get pregnant because it's supposed to. And so when I had my loss and the progesterone just dropped, progesterone masks inflammation in a lot of women. Because as a, you know, during pregnancy, pregnancy is like a hyper-inflamed state. Like anyone that gets pregnant, your whole body goes into this different state of being. And so you release all this progesterone. And one of the purposes is that it like keeps the inflammation down and it's, it's meant for pregnancy. So without it, my inflammation just went haywire, which is part of this disease that I have. So not only was I for the first time like reckoning with the fact that like, I had lost this pregnancy, but I lost it because in my head it was my fault. You know, I had this disease that I didn't know about because apparently like it had been brewing for like 10 plus years and there were little things, you know, and I'm I'm not typically like a complainer. Like I was just raised like 
if there's pain or if you're on your period or if you have a headache, whatever, you can usually push through it and get things done. And I still think that's true to a certain extent, but I think I took it a little too far, you know, not trusting my body, not listening to the cues. So by the time I was diagnosed, I was like, wow, when I look back, there were a lot of different markers of inflammation and things that were wrong. So in a lot of ways, I felt like if I had just listened to my body, if I had just been a little bit more self-aware, maybe I would have known, you know, you start going down that rabbit hole of what if, and it's my fault and all of this. And, and so there was this period where I had to like, one, I had to relearn my body and my body's cues. And two, I had to reckon with the fact that like, I did feel like my body failed me and I felt like, you know, it was my fault. And it was a very strange year. Like I felt like when I look back at, you know, that year where Kevin and I were trying, plus like this diagnosis, like I had to have a couple of procedures during that time. We unfortunately had another miscarriage before we got pregnant successfully with Jude. And it just was like this like year long journey of like just relearning how to love my body, you know, and embrace the fact that like, hopefully, you know, it would do what it needed to do and that I'd have to trust in the process and that there were very few things I can control at the time other than, you know, like nourishing myself right and getting rest and getting sleep. And so again, that like sounds like a fairy tale ending. It was not, but you learn to do it a little bit at a time every single day definitely shook up even more my image of self and like how I felt about my body and how I felt about the way that I looked you know obviously when you get pregnant like after you lose the pregnancy like you're still holding on to like water weight and you know a little extra fat in different places and so it was just it was a very weird time I think that like as we grow from children to adolescents to young women to women of childbearing age and then some I feel like we have kind of these different like narratives that are a product of all sorts of things you know mm-hmm. our culture or advertisement or what our parents have told us and stuff but I think that there a really difficult transition has been that sense of you know as a child you feel like nothing's in your control you know, and then you become a young adult and you're like, oh, I need to have total self-control. I am in control of my life and everything. I, I should, you know, manipulate everything so that I do all the right things. And, you know, you can even successfully establish that through habits and work and working out and wellness and all this stuff and think that like I am doing all the things and checking all the boxes. You know, I'm taking the different things that are going to help my fertility and this and that. Yeah. And then it's like, oh my God, I think fertility during <laughs> Oh my God. Like at some point, I feel like almost every person I've talked to has a confrontation with like, okay, I was doing all the right things and still something blindsided me. Yes. You know, whether it is like some kind of medical condition or a loss or even like grief, a loss of another person or an accident. There's always these things that kind of sneak up on us. And I think they're especially jarring when it's something of a physical, you know, nature and that it's like you have to reincorporate it into yourself of of body image, of self-esteem and your definition of your personality as it relates to those things. Yeah. What was one of the most challenging things you think like when you went through your diagnosis? 
I'd say the most, and this is interesting thinking back on it, but I remember that the thing that made me the saddest about going through that was that, so I got diagnosed a month after my husband proposed to me. I had this overwhelming feeling that I had trapped him now, that I was like, oh my God, he proposed thinking that I was going to be a continued version of this other person, Mm -hmm. you know, that was healthy and vibrant and successful and young, you know, and now he has a cancer girl, you know, and I, I, it got to the point where I literally, I remember sobbing in bed next to him and I was like, you can call it off, you know, like you didn't sign up for this. And he just looked at me and he hugged me and he was like, I would never, you know, he's like, that's not what this is about. And, you know, from that moment forward, I mean, I had those recurring thoughts, but I also look at my diagnosis and I'm like, wow, he stood by my side through every step of that process. And it was hard, you know, and we both broke down at different moments. And like, but looking back, I'm like, wow, like that cancer was like a gift for me to see like what true relationship with someone was about and like commitment and being able to lean on someone was like. But I th- I honestly think I'm like, as hard as it was to have the surgery and incorporate the idea of like, I had cancer into my sense of self. I'm like, I had this overwhelming fear of like abandonment because of cancer. And like, what does that mean to like my community? Is everyone going to always think this about me? Or, you know, are people not going to want to be committed to someone that has had this kind of medical problem? The other one was like, you know, after I had my, my thyroid removed, I had to go through a form of radiation where they give you this this pill that like makes your body radioactive for a period of time until like the half-life of that like radioactivity decays. And during that period, you have to be quarantined and like isolated from other people. So I think it was like 12 feet. I had to stay from other people, away from other people at all times. And even in my own home, like we had to like we put like throwaway sheets on a bed in a guest room and like tarps over like anything that I would sit on. I had to use disposable like plateware and stuff. And I I couldn't be anywhere near my husband. And I think that that time period was very like, I mean, it was a very like physical representation of, of this isolation where it's like when you deal with something like cancer, you know, it's so essential to have a support system, but also like it can make you really feel like this is something that me and my body are dealing with on our own. And I honestly think, I mean, this is a tangent, but I, I think that motherhood can be like that in some ways too, where yeah. it's like, it takes village, but it's, it's like, so right. internal. Like, like this is my experience of it. The hard thing yeah. though with your cancer is that I can relate to motherhood now and like we can chop it up. But I remember yeah. when you were going through that, when you went through your diagnosis, it was like right at the end of business school for you too. And we were getting yeah. really, really close. We were getting so much traction with Bridget and like, yeah, this is when we could do in-person events. And I remember you breaking this news to me. And firstly, I was devastated because you just, there's so many unknowns, right? Like it's, I'm like, you're my best friend. What do we do? What's going to happen? So, you know, that fear was very palpable, like as your friend, and I remember when you went through treatment and that was a relief and then you had, you decided to get your thyroid removed and that was a relief. And then you had to do the radiation after. And I remember like thinking like, wow, like 
because we talked while you were in quarantine and this is before COVID. So this is like quarantine, pre-quarantine where like, this is like, no one, (laughs) like nobody knew like what this was like at the time. And I just remember thinking like, gosh, like there was so much distance, you know, like it almost felt like you were like in another country, even though like I knew you were here in the same city, but that we were just, you know, you were observing these safety precautions but it did. It felt like you were in another country. So I can just barely imagine what it felt like to like be in your skin at that time, you know, to be the person that had to be like so far away. I guess now you can somewhat compare it to like, oh, I had COVID this one time. And so I had to stay away from everybody. But like Kevin and I slept in the same bed when we had COVID. Like it's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> and so it ha- just like the feeling of isolation. I mean, it's so interesting yeah. that you say that because, you know, I have several friends that have also experienced pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. And when they've been going through this, I have similarly felt like an unscalable distance during that experience from my friends. And, and I also, you know, I I feel like I've looked at things and heard people say like, what not to say to someone who has lost a baby? Like you want to, you're almost like walking on eggshells where it's like, oh, I want to say everything because I love them and I just want to be there. And like, you know, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. So then you just kind of feel stuck, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just like this desperate stuckness of like, I feel like I can't, I can't take this away from them. I don't always know what to say, you know, but it's it's similar where it's just like when you're observing someone kind of going through something like that, it's just like, it's hard. It feels like there's a chasm there and it's, yeah. and, but at this point we have this like, we have this yearning to like relate to each other, even when we're going through like different, completely different things that like we can, we can relate to by our own experience. But it's like, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I don't, I don't know what it's like to have lost a baby, you know, and I can, I can only just be there, you know, and listen and feel like we've taken like such a tangent from like body image. But I, I do think but all of is, this it's stuff part is part of it. It's part yeah, of it. Like, I think. Hey, like our bodies, like you could never be in someone else's skin, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that I've been on the inside of what was never diagnosed, but like close to an eating disorder. I've been around other people that have had eating disorders and you think it's similar. Like you look at them and you're like, how could you see things so differently than what everybody else sees? And like, how could you not love your like beautiful soul and body? Like everyone else loves you. Like, how could you treat your body? Like same thing, addiction. Like there's all these different physical things, you know, that people experience in their own skin yeah. and on the outside. It's so tied. The way that we see ourselves is so tied to our emotional experience of living. You know, I think I really appreciate what you said about how different the experience is and just like that feeling of stuckness, you know, I think that's so human. We all have such different experiences, like there are idiosyncrasies, of course, and there's actually a mutual friend of ours who also experienced pregnancy loss. And I remember saying to her one time, and this was after my second loss, like, I feel like you and I are just survived the same war. Like, like we were both soldiers in the same war. And when you're describing your experience being a thyroid cancer survivor, you know, I almost feel like we're both veterans. They're different wars, but we're both veterans. And so there's a camaraderie there. And I think really like in the bigger picture, that's probably true for everybody in different ways. It's wild how those inform so much of how we look at ourselves and how different that can be 
in comparison to how other people see us or how we see ourselves at different stages. Exactly. And I think that that's like such an interesting part because it's like, you know, as especially going through this like pregnancy, you know, birth, postpartum, like wave, which Mm -hmm. feels like it takes forever while you're pregnant. But really, when you look back, you're like, holy shit, like my body has been like so many different sizes in like (laughs) one year. Like, it's hard to like, yeah, yeah, but I'm like at peace. It's like, yes, I am at peace. I I am proud of what my body has done. But like, am I comfortable in the fact that like, no, because it's hard to like define what yeah. So it, things change so rapidly that it's like, okay, well, what, what am I now? Am I pregnant two months? Am I recently postpartum? Am I like my boobs the size of Texas and the note is after and it's like sagging? And like, you know, there's so many different. Oh my God, I know. And you also don't really know. Like I'm at the stage where I'm like, I don't know what my body is going to do. So I'm like just along for no. the ride right now. Which is kind of its own beautiful thing. It's very disorienting. Yes. There's like a part of me that looks at this and I'm like, I'm here for it. I am so proud of what I accomplished. Like my mom filmed my entire birth and um, I've watched it back like a couple times since having Jude. And I'm like, I'm so proud of that experience. Like I had like turned the pain medication off. We just did it. Like I was so scared pre, you know, labor. And when it came down to it, I just remember like, breathing through it and being like like everything they do like they couldn't get the IV in my arm and then and then they wanted to you know do a cervical like it's all uncomfortable and I remember at each turn being like this is really uncomfortable but this is not going to be the most painful thing that happens to me today and that was like how I got through it and then at the end like watching my birthing video back like I don't know it's it's something that I'm very proud of and I could rewatch the video over and over, to be honest, just because I'm like, wow, I did that. That's me like physically using my body. And I remember at that time just thinking to myself, I exercised through my pregnancy to stay active so that I could, I I basically physically trained for the labor because I was like, I know it's going to be intense. Like, and so when it finally happened, like, I remember just having enough presence at the time to be like, okay, now I'm going to push. I'm going to push here. I'm going to breathe through it. Like, I listened to some of the tips that you gave me pre-labor and delivery so I can like look back and be like, wow, I really appreciate how that went because it's giving birth to a baby is wild. (laughs) It's it's funny because like, so my, my doula, I had a doula for my second birth and she took a similar, like a video of like up close, like, you know, the angle of the baby coming out and she sent it to me. She's like, I don't know if you'll want to watch it right away. But she's like, but I thought you might it's there yeah. if you want it. She's like, you can delete it. But I remember I like finally sat down. It was like a couple of weeks after having the baby. And I was like, I'm going to watch it. You know, I'm like, I'm going to see you. <laughs> and I was like, damn, that was like really, really cool. I watched it like 10 times. I was like, yeah. this is so cool. I'm like, look at my book. It came out of my body and it's so beautiful. And like, it's so, and I, I thought that I was going to be a lot more like squeamish yeah. about it. Like, oh, like, oh, look what happened to me. Yeah. But I, I, to this day, I can watch that video and I'm like, Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. But at the same time, I think that this is what's so funny about like, you know, on this topic of like body image is that you can have these like super positive yeah. feelings and vibes. Where, like one moment I'm like, I am a rock star. Like I don't want my body to bounce back because I'm bouncing forward. I am a mom. <laughs> you know? like, 
I'm stronger and better than ever. Why would I want to be a past version of myself? You know, like this body carried two kids. Like it's obviously stronger than it was before, you know, and better and more miraculous. And I have their DNA inside me. Like that's a fun fact that every time you have a baby, their DNA continues to like exist inside you. So you're literally bound to them. So anyways, I have these like extreme positivity moments. I also, you know, I'm proud of the fact that like I've worked hard and I think that my recoveries from pregnancy have been really good, you know. There's also, there's, everybody has little things. I'm like, I have an umbilical hernia. Like my, my little belly button is like still a little outy because of a diastasis recti mm-hmm. problem I had with my abs splitting, you know, and I'll, I'll zero in on that. I'm like, God, my belly button's not, it's not right yet. And like, I don't know if I should wear a bikini because of that. And like this and that. And like, we just hyper fixate on things and then we can oh, yeah. get so negative. I think this is a fun like moment to talk about. We were talking about this a little bit offline, but I was like, oh, we should save this for the podcast. Like this idea of body positivity and that whole wave and how it can actually be kind of toxic to expect that. Like for the example of the word like bouncing back, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard both ends of this argument where some people are like, no, like bouncing back is a bad thing and you should never want to try to be, get your body back, you know? And then I hear other people that are like, a woman should be entitled to work hard on her body after her baby. It's not just all about her having a baby. She can regain her sense of self. Like both of those things are true. Yeah. I you know, we've talked about like qualities having neutral characteristics before. And I think this is just like another really good example of that where too much positivity is incredibly toxic. And just like in any other avenue, especially when it comes to body positivity, I think it's like, So there's two sides to this coin, right? And this is purely my opinion. I think using the term like, oh, you're going to bounce back at this certain time or like, oh, you should only gain 25 pounds during your pregnancy because of this. I think there's also like a lot of damage, like the other end of the spectrum where it's like we have this new wave. And I think we'll get into this in a little bit about like, you know, like Ozempic is like rampant right now. Like everyone hears about these weight loss, like the skinny jabs. And so there's like two sides to the spectrum where it's like you're too body positive or we're too on the other end where it's like we're incredibly self-deprecating and like need to be like size zero, 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 just like, you know, the tabloids wanted us to believe when we were in high school, you know, when it was like Lindsay Lohan's 98 pounds and like that was like all you read, like the Britney Spears, Paris Hilton's and everything. It just becomes so toxic and pregnancy is not immune to that. It's like supposed to be this beautiful time for a woman to like have her child and it's sacred and all these things. But yet like when you go into your doctor's appointments, like all the books still say like you should only gain between 25 and 35 pounds, which yeah, that's great. Like for my size, you know, Sometimes that's possible, but there's plenty of instances where women gain more weight and are perfectly healthy or like yeah. they're six feet tall and they gain 36 pounds or 40 pounds and like that's perfectly or healthy. Or 65 pounds. Yeah. Like me. <laughs> I gain, yeah, I'm like, I honestly, I think I gained like somewhere in the range of like 40 to 50 pounds like when I was pregnant and like it's fluctuated and honestly, like 20 of those pounds might be in my chest because I went from like a like a full B to like an H in like my last trimester, which I that's a love hate relationship because I'm like these things give my child life and sustenance, but they also make me feel like I'm going to tip over like they have taken yeah. on a life of their own. 
I think you're so right in that, like, there's this aspect of neutrality of, like, it's right to say, like, I feel so out of sorts in my body. And it's also right to say, like, I want to, you know, aspire to, like, be healthy again. And it's also right to be like, you know what? This body did so much and I love it. It's a spectrum and none of it's wrong. It's, like, all informed by this, like, roller coaster of emotions and experiences that we have to go through living. Yeah. <laughs> Even when you're, like, explaining, you're like, oh, like, pregnancy is supposed to be this beautiful time for a woman and her it's a symbol of her fertility. And it, it is a beautiful thing. I think most people will see a, a pregnant woman and be like, oh, you know. But I also think that, you know, when you're pregnant, sometimes like you can go through things that are extremely uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of pregnancy for a lot of people, for not all people, but like for a lot of people, there are things that make you, there's heartburn, there's throwing up, there's changing your sizes, there's uncomfortable boobs, there's all sorts of Diarrhea. things. Diarrhea. <laughs> Diarrhea. Like, oh my God, it's your nerve pain. Oh my God. Yeah. I had, I had post-herpetic neuralgia, which is <laughs> its own thing, but because I had shingles, but you know, before. But I had this like really unique, weird nerve pain throughout my pregnancy that I don't have when I'm not pregnant. Like everybody has, you know, or a lot of people have discomforts. And for me, I was like, oh, you know, like I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because this is supposed to be a beautiful time for me. And I don't ever want to like there are people who can't get pregnant and I don't want to be seen complaining about my pregnancy because yeah. other people can't have this. And this is a blessing and I should be happy, you know, but to, to have all these like these like I should do this I should feel this Competing. way I should feel solely yeah positive. you know it's like it's like it's okay to like feel positive and negative in the same little blip you know and that it can all exist together and I mean in therapy as I was talking about like you know we're thinking of things in our like toolbox of like okay I don't think that I can have like oh here's five things you can do to fix your self-esteem but like there are tools where it's like okay if I'm struggling what are some things I can revisit and one for me has been therapy you know, I know you and I have talked about, you know, different, you know, wellness or fitness like routines, not as like things to do to fix ourselves, but to, you know, kind of tap back in. But like in therapy, my my therapist was like, oh, you know, I, I like to talk a little bit less about like body positivity and more about body neutrality. And I think for me, the best like form of body neutrality isn't like, oh, I don't care about my body or it's I'm like, that would be impossible for me. I'm like, I am very tied to my physical form. For me, I'm like, body neutrality is like more like appreciation, like taking taking points where, like, where I'm, if I'm feeling negative about some part of my body or a size or whatever, finding something to appreciate within that, like you, how you were talking, you're like, okay, these boobs are extremely uncomfortable, but they are nourishing my child at this point, you know, and they have done this and this and actually, you know, yeah. not turning it into positive, but just being like, it, they're both. They can a hit lot. a target from like <laughs> 10 feet away. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's that's a feat. Um, If there were, if there were Olympics like for that. Sometimes. Yeah, you know? honestly. I love that your therapist said that. And I think she's totally right about, you know, being neutral. It kind of like, brings me back to that first bit that we were talking about or when you're a child and you're first learning and establishing this relationship with the self, with your physical body, it's so neutral. It's like you're literally looking down most of the time, I think, and wonder at like, hey, I have, you know, fingers, you know, hopefully. I know not everybody has fingers, not everybody's able body, but just generally you discover 
the things that you are capable of. And there's something really pure about that. And I think, you know, maybe that is like a tool that we need to continue tapping into. It's like when I am feeling insecure or uncomfortable about something, like what is the what's the function? What's the thing that I can be grateful for? What's the thing that works? Because, you know, there is such a thing as toxic positivity. But I think when you curb that with the gratitude angle, it sort of takes the unhealthy out of it. It takes the toxic out of it. And it just starts to become more of that neutral attribute where it's like, no, this is something that is positive. This is the glass being half full part or having something in it. You know, if it's not half full, there's something in it. Yeah, it's just it's a glass. <laughs> yeah, it's a glass of breast yeah. milk that I shot from across the room. <laughs> and then my father knocked onto the ground because she <laughs> Hey, audience. So as you can probably tell, our conversation on body image is so layered and we have so much more to get into. So we decided to split this episode into two parts. So please join us again next week, next Wednesday, and we'll delve into more on body image in part two. See you there. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?